Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms held wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It is, now catch this, Doggest the first. Yes, I mean, I know it's officially August the first, but it's also apparently known today as Doggest the first. And so, a little shout out to all of my four legged, furry, not feline friends. Mm-hmm. All right, all puppy dogs listening this morning to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Good morning, little loves. I know there's so many of you listening right now um, with your steadfast um, people, right? Your humans. And so, um, I mean, I would go down the list of names, but then that would take the whole time that we have together. So if you are the human hearing this, could you reach over to that uh, little that little four legged furry friend and scratch him or her behind the ears and tell them that I appreciate their listenership as well on this doggest the first. And yes, if they want to text in a photo. Uh, I'm always open to that. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which if you haven't signed up for, you can do that at myfaithradio.com. You get the Growing Your Faith verse of the day in your inbox first thing in the morning. Today's um, verse, or actually this whole month, uh, the entire month of August, also known affectionately as Doggist, uh, we're going to be looking at verses from the book of Proverbs. And so today we're in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. And I thought that I would highlight a few things about the principles of biblical interpretation, like how we study the Bible, since we're going to jump into Proverbs. And you may say to yourself, hmm, you know, I read those like I read, um, you know, fortune cookies. I read those like I read... Um, uh, horoscopes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's learn to read the book of Proverbs a little bit uh, before we jump in this month to verses of the day, which are going to be drawn from Proverbs. Let's remember that when we're studying the scriptures, when we are taking God at his word, um, when we are leaning into the word of God, we're seeking to understand the author's meaning. We're seeking to understand what God has said, not taking the Bible and making it say what we want it to say or meaning something that God never intended. So We're going to be looking for the author's meaning. We're also going to pay a lot of attention to the context. We talk about context governing meaning. It's the context that governs the meaning. So I have to understand that these verses come from a book of the Bible that is set in a historical context written by an author. There's a culture. There's a circumstance. All of those things matter. That's kind of the who, what, when, where, why of a passage of Scripture. But there's another layer to context as well. That's the immediate context of the words in the context of a verse and the verse in a section or in Proverbs, the verse in a couplet. Every proverb comes as a couplet. So we need to know that and read them in their context. They also come in the context of a book and that comes in the context of the whole of scripture, which is one story. So where does where does this verse come in the context of all of that? And then there's a conversation about words because words matter. I mean, we know um, the meaning of some words, but the meaning of some words has changed over the course of time. So what did it mean 
when the author wrote the word and why did the author choose that particular word if others were available uh, to the author as well. Grammar matters. Um, and we're talking about Proverbs. We're talking about wisdom literature, which is different than historical uh, narrative. It's different than epistles. It's different than prophecy. Uh, and so when we're talking about the genre of the Proverbs, we're going to look at grammar in the context of the way Proverbs are not Psalms and um, and they're also not narrative or epistles. So anyway, you get that part. And then we're going to test this text against what God says in other places throughout the scriptures. We're going to compare scripture with scripture. So wisdom literature comes to us um, in a variety of locations. Um, we, we receive the Proverbs as a part of the wisdom literature, which includes Job and Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs. Um, and, and when we're talking about the Proverbs, we're talking about a book compiled by uh, David's son, King Solomon, uh, and he wrote many of the Proverbs, but not all of them. Some of the Proverbs are uh, referred to by Solomon as uh, as from the wise um, or from the well of Hezekiah's men or from Agar or from Lemuel. So I'm just saying that there are other authors quoted by Solomon in the book of Proverbs. And why do we rely upon Solomon for this wisdom? Well, I want you to um, read First Kings chapter 3 as evidence of why we listen to Solomon for wisdom. But today's uh, Growing Your Faith verses of the day, Proverbs 2, 6 to 9. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. Seeking with you today the right way to go. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen, and this is Faith Radio. Excited to have Sally Burke, president of Moms in Prayer, join us today. Sally, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, it's so good to be with you. Well, we um, we appreciate Moms in Prayer and all that you um, and other moms are doing. For people who are not familiar with Moms in Prayer, can you can you just introduce them to the ministry? Oh, I'd love to. Moms in Prayers, where two or more women gather together one hour once a week, and we pray. We pray for the children. We pray for the schools. Our mission is to impact children and schools for Christ worldwide as we gather women together. Our vision is that every school worldwide would be covered in prayer. Currently, you know, we meet locally, like in Temecula. There are several groups that pray for many schools. And we're in 160, over 160 countries right now, currently, and in all 50 states. So when you just think about the number of schools that there are, just in my own community, like I'm just thinking about, all right, there's um, there's a daycare, a couple of daycares, there's an elementary school, 
Um, there's a middle school. There's a couple of high schools. There's a private school. There's a charter school. I mean, I'm thinking that each and every one of those, um, you know, can have a moms in prayer group and a group can be two moms plus plus Jesus. Right. I mean, like it's and That's anybody right. can do this. And so we want to invite you to check it out. Go to moms in prayer dot org moms in prayer dot org. Um, if you're not already actively engaged in a prayer ministry related to a school close to you, we want today to be the day that that changes so that um, the the children, the administrators, the teachers, the parents, the neighbors, everybody related to that school um, gets prayed for through this ministry. So talk with us, Sally, about, um, you know, okay, so I'm going to get together with another mom. We're going to pray one hour once a week for, um, you know, a particular school. Are we going to maybe, I don't know, walk the perimeter of the campus? What are we, what are we going to do? What, what's, what's my experience going to be when I get together to do this? Well, first I want to tell, like when I started, I didn't even know how to pray. So I went to somebody's house. Usually that's where we meet or a church, or if it's a private school, they'll open up a classroom because they want you to be praying for them. And so you come into that group and that mom, uh, the leader of that group already has a prayer sheet ready for you. So when I walked in, they did four simple yet powerful steps of prayer. We always begin with praise by looking up to who our God is. We praise him by name, by attribute, by character, who he says he is according to his word. Time of silent confession to confess all of our fears, or maybe we lost it on our kids that day. Thanksgiving, every week we witness amazing answers to prayer from the simplest of a kindergarten learning to tie a shoe to revival where 91 kids fell on their faces to receive Jesus um, on their school campus locally. Um, Just amazing answers to prayer. So we thank God for that. And then we intercede using God's word. How do we know God's going to answer our prayer if we pray according to his will? And so we put our child's name in scripture. We put teacher's names in our scriptures. We have an incredible time right here, right now to impact that school campus. And we do it through prayer. So whoever's listening, come, you don't even need to know how to pray. God will teach you. He tells us in scripture when we know not how we ought to pray. The Holy Spirit always prays through us. And I'm a testimony to that. And most of the moms in prayer women are a testimony to that, that they learn to pray as they took their children to the very throne room of God with another mom coming alongside of them. I love that. I'm imagining that the relationships that are forged over time and over years as you're praying by name for children and for teachers, for school administrators, um, for particular prayer requests that are lifted up. I, I imagine that the relationships that are forged over time are a real blessing as well. Oh, they're everlasting. They're everlasting uh, friendships. We fall in love with each other's children. We're for each other's children. But your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus grows. And what's so amazing to me is like our elementary school campus uh we started praying for them and, and pretty soon the teachers and the principals, even those that weren't Christians started sending us prayer requests. Well, pretty soon they began to see answers to prayer. Um, we witnessed 14 out of those 22 public school teachers come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We prayed for each child by name. And so we got to witness as Good News Club came on that campus and over 100 kids every single month would come and hear. Um, and many of them received Jesus today. They're teachers, they're preachers, you know, they're moms and dads who love Jesus impacting this world for Christ. So it, it, it's mind boggling 
what we can do. Mm. You know, God tells us, put on that full armor of God. He doesn't go say, go slay. He says, go pray. Uh, that that school's not our enemy, that those teachers aren't our enemies. It's an opportunity to lift them up to the very throne room of God and pray and watch God transform that school. And it just takes two. And groups sometimes grow. My, my vocal group right now is we have 25 women in that group because it just grows and expands and you can't help but tell testimonies. I even been had principals go from one school to another, go, can you get me a mom's and prayer group for this new school I'm going to? So mm. it, it, it's just amazing to witness. And right now, every school needs prayer. It needs great prayer. Um, God is always victorious. He always leads us, but he tells us we have not because we ask not, and we need to battle for the lives and the souls of those on our campuses. Mm, I love that. We're talking with Sally Burke. She's president of Moms in Prayer. You can connect with Sally and Moms in Prayer and all of the resources at momsinprayer.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. We make a miracle walker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Returning to our conversation with Sally Burke, president of Moms in Prayer. Some of you are asking, um, yeah, the website is pretty simple. Moms, plural, in, I-N, prayer, dot O-R-G. Moms in prayer, dot O-R-G. Um, Sally, talk with us about what the Lord is teaching you. I mean, open our eyes to see what you see. Well, you get to see how big our God, how sovereign our God is, how tender our God is. And you really get to know who he is. So every week uh, when I would lead a group, I go, okay, God, what name, what attribute, what character of God do we battle for the lives of the children, the teachers, the ministrators? And, you know, it, it could be like one, one time he said, the Lord, our banner. And um, so I was curious, Lord, why the Lord our banner and our principal, who wasn't a Christian at the time, comes running up to me and he goes, Sally, Sally, you would not believe how your God answered so many prayers. The kids were protected. He goes, it was almost like there was an umbrella over us. And and it, it's just amazing. And he would share how one child ran in front of a car, but the car stopped in time. He went over and over again. But just that God is control and he wants us to partner with him for for a great revival, a great spiritual awakening. It's amazing as the world's shaken all over the world, it's shaken. We have an opportunity to tell the world who our God is, and, and we can do it as we pray, as we share answers to prayer, as we share who our God is. So I think that's something I, I'm seeing. And God all over the world is the same God. So we use these four steps, and it doesn't matter what country, what language you speak. Um, if you're a preschool mom to a great 
grandma, or we have three country coordinators who are not moms, but the children of that nation are their children and they're battling for them. It doesn't matter what denomination you're in, as long as you believe um, in our statement of faith and the word of God, and then you can join us. And, and these four steps of prayer transcends all of that. And it unleashes God's power to do his will here on this earth. And there's so much God wants to do. He is raising up a mighty generation. I believe it could be one of the greatest revivals and spiritual awakens we have ever seen. I was just in Dallas, Texas with 10,000 um, students. And I got to tell them that mm. we're praying for them and they just were cheering. And then we prayed the word of God over them. They just lifted their hands and they would come up to us but after and say, thank you. And they continue just lifted their arms and say, pray for me more, pray for me more. And whoever's listening, whatever woman is listening, that's what this generation is saying to you. Pray for me, pray for me. And you, you can easily do that by joining a group. And you don't have to be a mom, just a woman that's called to pray for the children in the schools. I love that. Um, Sally, when you talk about, um, well, first of all, when you talk, I hear the resonance of of things that you have written coming forward. I mean, when you talk about being unshaken and and the way the world is shaken right now. I'm thinking about the book that you wrote by that title, Unshaken, Experience the Power and the Peace of a Life of Prayer. Um, and then when you talk about, you know, God raising them up, raising up a generation, I'm thinking of uh, of your more recent book, Raise Them Up, Praying God's Word Over Your Kids. I'd like for you to take us a little bit into that, Praying God's Word Over Our Kids, um, because you talk about doing that. And I'm just wondering if Maybe you could just demonstrate it. Use your own child's name and and lead us into what that looks like to pray God's word over our kids. Oh, oh I would love to do that. And and I'll, I'll start with the story of how God really showed me that as far as the heavens are above the earth or God's ways above our ways. And his word goes forth, as it says in Isaiah 55, and never comes back avoid and I my my oldest boy was playing baseball and that and he was sitting on the bench a lot I'm like oh may he hit a home run may he do this may he do that and show that coach so he can play but in moms in prayer group we were praying things like this may he be completely humble and do all things without complaining and grumbling but being pure and innocent child of God holding out the word of life and his coach came up to me one time and he goes your son's a Christian boy isn't he I said how can you tell that and he said because he does all things without grumbling, complaining. Mm. Mm. And, and, and so God knows he created each one of our kids for an incredible calling, incredible destiny. He's chosen right here, right now for this period of time to be like Daniel. So like when I pray such things as may they love God with like, let's say I say me, Ryan love you with all his heart, his mind, his soul, and his strength and love others as he loves himself. Well, God's going to answer that prayer. That's his will. You know, that's, that, that's what his desire is. These other things that I think, you know, he may be good for him. You know, sometimes we see a yes in that. Sometimes we see a no. But in his word, his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Sometimes it takes 30 years. There are many women out there who have prodigals. And as we continue to pray for them, they come back. When they come back, they come back on fire for Christ. And you'll read that in the Unshaken book. And I wrote the Unshaken book because the world was so shaken, yet I was seeing testimony after testimony after testimony. It didn't matter if they lived in Africa, if they lived in a high-rising Europe, if they lived in South America, North America, Asia, it did not matter. God was answering prayer and moving women in amazing ways. Even in the 
communist countries, they, the women have raised up and, and, and they continue to lift their kids up in prayer, knowing God's going to answer it because they're praying his word. Sally, um, there are people listening right now who do not believe that, um, that God is going to make good on his promises. And I know you have, you know, a, an endless number of testimonies to share, um, to prove them wrong, to literally prove them wrong. Um, and so as a way of inspiring us to pray, because God is the one to whom we pray and who has the power to answer, and he's going to do so according to his will and word, um, would you would you speak directly to that person right now who has somehow lost their um, willingness to pray because they've lost their confidence in the goodness of God? Yes, yes. Oh, dear precious mama or woman, whoever is out there and you feel like you're in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the desert, God has not leave, left you nor forsaked you. He wants to wrap his everlasting arms around you. He wants to carry you through this time. He is hearing and he's answering his your prayers according to his timing. And I think that's what's so hard. And I think that's a gift of moms in prayer. There were times when I would come into my moms in prayer group and it could be when my oldest son just had a grand mal seizure or something else. And I'm seeing the situation and my faith is weak. That other mom comes right next to me just and lifts up my arms in prayer and and continues to pray with that faith that faith that i need and and that 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 prayer that just comes through her and um, that strengthens me to continue to pray and I love in Proverbs where he says two is stronger than one and three is even stronger. And that's what we find out in moms in prayer. There, there's a lot of moms and moms in prayer where their kids right now are in that prodigal stage, that stage where they're not walking with God. And in fact, I heard from a young lady when I was in Dallas at Together 22, and she came up to me and she goes, it wasn't too long ago that I hated God. And she goes, yet yeah, today. I love him with all my heart and can't help but share him. And I said, did you have a pray mom? She was, yes. And I go, did she happen to be a mom's in prayer? She goes, yes, she's a mom's in prayer mom. And I said, she never gave up on you. She kept on praying for you. And those other moms kept on praying with her for you. And, and she gets that and is very, very grateful for that. So you're in the midst of the storm. It's confusing. We don't understand it, but yet God is faithful and he wants to, pour forth the love. And, and I would say to you, I, I would pray this prayer uh, that God uh, would fill you to your inner being, that you would know the height, the depth, the width, the length, the love of Christ. So you could be filled up to complete fullness of him. And may he do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine according to his power's work within you. May he be glorified as he answer prayer after prayer, but don't give up. Jesus told us, don't give up. Keep on praying. It's just a, just a prayer away that answered a prayer. But come, come be a part of Moms in Prayer. We know that pain. We know that suffering. We've all been there. Yet we've seen incredible answers to prayer. The prodigals are coming home. God is mm. hearing and answering prayer. I want to invite you to um, hook up with Sally and all the other Moms in Prayer at momsinprayer.org. No matter where you are around the world and in every um, community in the United States, there is either already a Moms in Prayer group or one waiting for you to be the one who initiates it. So momsinprayer.org is your connecting point. You can also find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But I'm just going to recommend you go directly to the website, momsinprayer.org. 
org. Sally Burke, thank you so much um, for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure and delight. Let's uh, let's get um, let's get prayers happening out there for every school in every community worldwide. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. We are going down to the river uh, to pray today. I'm wondering if you have um, noticed just how many headlines today are political in nature, (laughs) at least the ones that lead the list, right? At least the ones that press themselves forward um, for our clicks and our attention. You know, it's not always been that way. It's not always been the case that the majority or the lead headlines of the day have been all political in nature. The news was once far less political and certainly less partisan. But since the advent of the 24-hour news cycle, which has been around as long as most of us have been paying attention, the need for 24 hours of content has produced a very different kind of news product. And that product has in turn transformed you and I, the consumer. And so now the consumer demands more partisan fare. We're not satisfied with uh, 24 hours of coverage that says this is materially what's going on. You analyze it and make your own uh, decisions about it. No, no. We instead want people to comment and commentary and fight with each other in public um, about what it means or what it might mean. So today we have so-called news channels that are not actually news at all, but highly partisan political commentary. Now, we know statistically, I mean, from surveys, many of them, that the majority of Americans, more than 60 percent of Americans, are not actually at either of the extremes when it comes to politics. But it is the extremists who drive the narratives because the extremists vote in primaries. They give to campaigns. They show up at protests. They use their own social media to fan the flame of the most extreme ideas without particular regard for the whole truth. Yes. Is there often some truth? A thread of truth? Yes, on both sides. But it's not the whole truth, and it's certainly not the truth, so help us God. So average Americans are exhausted and frustrated, but what can we do? If you're like me, and you're exhausted and frustrated by the extremist partisan control of what's happening politically in this country, and you're wondering what we can do, that's the topic of my next conversation with Daniel Bennett. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Have you noticed that there's a partisan division in the country? Yeah, I know you have. Others have as well. Dr. Daniel Bennett is back today. You can find him at John Brown University. You can also find him at his Uneasy Citizenship blog or on Twitter at Daniel R. Ben with two N's. Good morning, sir. Good morning. What is Andrew Yang up to with a bunch of other people who are frustrated with the polarization between the Democrats and the Republican parties? 
So Andrew Yang, if, if you remember, was a candidate for president back in 2020 as a Democrat. He is an unusual uh, political figure in that he had not yet uh, run for any major uh, public office. Uh, he was an entrepreneur, business person, et cetera. Um, and uh, he, along with former elected officials from both the Republican and the Democratic parties, recently founded what's called the Forward Party, which is not necessarily based on uh, a policy platform as of yet. It's more based on a, a general ideal of moderation and cooperation. And uh, it's gotten a lot of traction given the part partisan division in the country, given the fact that a good percentage of people in the United States uh, identify more and more as independents or uh, not connected to one of the major parties, Democrats or Republicans. Uh, but whenever a third party comes along, you have to ask, you know, why hasn't a third party been successful in breaking through the two parties that we've seen historically? Mm -hmm. So we better talk about that because it seems like pretty much um, the the trend in terms of coverage on this topic is here's all the reasons this won't work. Here's all the reasons it's going to fail. Here's why you can't start a third party. Right. Well, I mean, and historically, there's been some reasons for this. Right? I think 2016 is maybe the best example of this. We had two candidates from the two major parties, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, who were wildly unpopular in terms of favor ratings. And this included members of their own parties. People just were not satisfied with those candidates. And so then you had a, a guy running as a libertarian, a third party by any stretch of the, of the definition, uh, Gary Johnson, who was seen to be maybe this uh, compromise figure, someone who could appeal to people on both the left and the right on social and business issues, for example. And you would think that in that type of an election where both major candidates were just so unpopular with voters, that this would be the exact time a third party would come through. In fact, the almost the exact opposite happened. I think the libertarian candidate Gary Johnson got somewhere around 3% of the vote in 2016. It just didn't happen. And so in that sense, you do have to ask yourself why a third party has not been able to break through. And without getting into, into all the weeds on this, there are some institutional and structural reasons for why third parties struggle to make a dent in uh, electoral politics in the United States. It doesn't have anything to do with people being disingenuous and who they say they're voting for, or uh, the fact maybe it doesn't even account for the fact that people do uh, get tired of the two major parties. But our electoral systems itself, they really don't allow space for more than two parties to operate at the same time. So a centrist political party, if you're listening right now, would that be something you might be interested in? What might be some lessons um, from the past that you would be interested in pulling forward? Do you even remember, let's say, the efforts of the American Independent Party um, do you look back over history and remember something called the Reform Party? How about the Green Party? Um, so there are examples uh, over the course of American history of efforts in this direction. Actually, um, you know, because you know me and you know I use the Googler, um, there's a list of third party attempts uh, on Wikipedia. And so if you want to make a um, a study of this and a look at this, um, I I actually, Daniel, would have great hope for <laughs> some kind of mm. third party because i'm i'm frustrated by the yeah. what what seem to be the extremist controls in both the democrat and republican parties today yeah. 
So how how do how do you help me? Let's say I'm not in the mushy middle. I'm a super yeah. convictional middle person. Um, I have really <laughs> strong convictions. And so I may end up in the forward party with people who also have really strong convictions and we may not agree. Right. So I think what happens with these third parties, first of all, it's not to say that third parties never make a dent in American politics. It's very loud. I grew up in Oregon, for example, especially in Southern Oregon. It wasn't uncommon to see a Green Party person win on the local city council or something that wasn't that wasn't uncommon at all. It's more unusual to see a third party win a national uh, Mm -hmm. race. So for Congress, or the Senate, for example, I think Ron Paul was perhaps the best example of this going back to the early 2000s of someone who didn't really identify with either Republicans or Democrats. What's more likely to happen with third parties? And this goes back to the institutional Uh, reasons I was alluding to earlier, is that one of the other major parties could see something in that third party and then adapt accordingly or absorb uh, elements of that third party to attract members who were initially uh, attracted to that third party back to one of the major parties. You kind of saw this a little bit in 2010 and in the reaction to Barack Obama's election in 2008 with the rise of the so-called Tea Party movement. Now, the Tea Party wasn't a third party. It was a movement in American politics. But you saw in response the Republican Party adopt a lot of that same language and rhetoric that, that was important to the Tea Party. Uh, These were folks who were frustrated with both political parties, very much Democrats, but also Republicans. And Republicans adopted a lot of that vision that would guide their uh, electoral and governing principles for the next several election cycles. So don't lose heart. Third parties can make a difference. It's just that it's not really likely we're going to see a consistent third party winning big numbers of seats in American elections. Yeah, here's what I will forecast. There will be um, people who are currently identified with a Republican or Democratic Party who already hold um, positions, elected positions, who will announce that they are transferring into or now representing the forward party. Um, And they will be reelected simply because they are incumbents and they are already well known at the local, state or national level. So I expect that to happen. Um, And then I expect us to see people um, who identify with the forward party uh, at the most local of levels in terms of elections. And so we want people to be watching for that and looking for that. Somebody uh, texted in, um, hey, what about, um, you know, isn't Bernie Sanders really not a Democrat, right? Isn't he really a Democratic Socialist? Is that an actual party? Like, those are good questions that people are people are asking. Um, and then a friend of the show, Doug Jenkins, who um, who is a politician, has says, hey, have you ever heard of this guy referring to himself? Right. So there are folks who like have ind- have 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 strong convictions, but also an independent streak in terms of not fully yeah. aligning with either political party. And and you mentioned Bernie Sanders or your listener did. That's a great example of why we all, we really just have two major parties at a time. Bernie Sanders is decidedly and ideologically very different from a lot of Democrats running in Congress today. If you put him up against someone like Chuck Schumer, for example, in New York, ideologically they're pretty pretty disparate. But Bernie Sanders knows that as a, a candidate with aspirations for office. 
um, especially running for president, he does need to affiliate with one of the major political parties. Now, this doesn't necessarily matter in Vermont, like you said, because he'll be elected to Vermont as, as many times as, as he wants to be elected. Um, but it's a good example of, of you can have divisions within the parties, but also at the end of the day, people just tend to come home. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's it, it's it's notable that he almost won the uh, right. I mean, it may have won had other people not put their hand on the scale for Hillary Clinton. Right. That's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. We're going to continue our conversation here with Daniel Bennett in just a moment. We're going to talk about a poll out of Georgetown. There is near universal concern over the level of political division today. Um, what, what would you gauge your concern um, related to political division in the country? Are you worried about well, frankly, the civility of our union, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Daniel Bennett from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog, a forthcoming book by the same title. Um, Let's talk about this battleground civility poll, this new poll from uh, Georgetown shows near universal concern over the level of political division and high levels of self-segregation. Um, first of all, let's define some of those terms, self-segregation. Um, and then how do you, how would you define political division? So self-segregation is referring to this idea that people uh, are increasingly sorting into uh, homogenous or like-minded communities. Some of this might be uh, geographical. So I live in Northwest Arkansas, for example. Uh, you know, people in this area tend to believe a lot of the same things, not necessarily in terms of the nuts and bolts of politics, but maybe have different similar values about the way we should live life, etc. Um, you see this in churches a lot. Churches are becoming less and less politically uh, divided or having political divisions within congregations. Instead, we just tend to sort into into churches that align with our values. So that's becoming more and more prevalent. And when you have these types of homogenous communities, we interact with people who think different differently than we do less and less. And we become exposed to people who think differently than we do uh, less and less. And so that is that is a cause for concern, I think, for the future of, of American politics. Um, but the larger concern, I think, from the poll, and this is the this is the finding that I think had Andrew Yang and the other founders of the Forward Party absolutely salivating, is that a high percentage of people said they would prefer candidates who would focus more on compromise and cooperation in legislation. Um, and that is, of course, a central element of this new 
uh, forward party. This this poll doesn't mean we're headed to civil war, by the way. Um, it's still, you know, it's concerning. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, there there is stuff. And we can talk about this if you want. Younger voters especially have more optimistic views about where we're headed than, say, older generations. So I've been listening to um, commentary over the weekend related to this. And um, there there are these conversations that are taking place in so-called battleground states. You might call them purple states. You might call them swing states. And um, I was listening to um, somebody who has been talking with voters in those specifically in those states trying to gauge like, you know, because we hear nationally, oh, you know, the, the, the vote is going to be on the Dobbs decision or the vote is going to be on inflation. And neither of those, although those are issues of concern. Um, none of these people are really like one issue voters. I mean, the reason they are swing voters in swing states is because they swing. Right. It's they're they're not they're not firmly grounded in one position or another. The other thing that that um, this particular pollster noted, these people were unable to identify most of the candidates. Um, an overwhelming majority of the people surveyed could not identify the candidates by their pictures. (laughs) <laughs> Which makes yeah, me I mean, wonder that yeah. makes me wonder like and and then I started to think to myself, I mean, this will be like shameful and embarrassing. I could identify the positions of my senators and one of my senators from my state. I could certainly uh, recognize because she's on TV a lot. I'm not sure I could re- I'm not sure I could pick out a picture of the other guy. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty consistent with American politics and, and voting. Right. We we certainly know the the high. Uh, visibility officials, certainly the president and, and maybe even a senator or a governor. But when it gets down to uh, local levels, uh, we tend to be a little and as I'm including myself in here, too, when we're voting for uh, even state representative or certainly even more local than that, we tend to be a little confused here. Um, you know, some numbers from this poll, I think, worth digging into. Uh, almost eight out of 10 people think the country is on the wrong tr- wrong track of this uh, at, at this particular moment. Um, And this is fascinating Uh, in terms of frustration with the current political environment. Not surprisingly, that 93 percent of Republicans um, think the country is on is on the wrong track, but also 73 percent of very liberal Democrats. So the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, 73 percent of them think that we are on the wrong track. Now, talking about polarization and division, that number should be a little concerning considering that we have a Democratic president. And the response isn't necessarily to say, well, let's support Joe Biden's agenda. The response might be, well, if only we had someone even more extreme in the White House, that would actually be more uh, ideal than, than the status quo. Um, so there is a lot to a lot worth digging into here. Um, but like you said, uh, we have to temper this a little bit with, but how much are people actually engaged in the process? Yeah, a, a, a decrease in voters who agree with the statement, I am optimistic about the future because young people are committed to making this country a better place to live for everyone. Um, that was a net decrease of 23%. So a quarter of those interviewed are not optimistic about the future, and it's based on their view of young people and the commitments of young people in terms of the commitment to the country and the commitment to sort of the we, the people. That, I think, Daniel, is the... Maybe the crux of the matter for guys like you who teach at universities 
where you actually have access to this age group of people who are, you know, 18 to, to let's say, 22. Um, I mean, I think mm-hmm. there are these reasons to have hope. We point to individual students or individual bright, shiny lights. But in mm-hmm. mass, the emerging generation is not healthy in terms of its view of um the body politic, nor its view of politics, those two things being distinct but related. Yeah, you know, you encounter this in the classroom, uh, especially with students coming in for the first time. Uh, They've been uh, mentored and discipled. And this isn't across the board. This is, you know, this is just a general trend that I've seen. They they tend to have been discipled a lot more by social media and uh, the extremes that exist there than by even parents or, you know, unfortunately, than by churches. And so, you know, we only have them for three or four years. And I'm not painting myself as the arbiter of how we get the generation back on track. But one thing we try to do in in our classes is not change views, right? We're not trying to say, well, your views are wrong. Here's why we have to adjust them and make them fit the, the, you know, a better model. It's all about how we consider our views, right? Is there the possibility that we might be missing something? Is there the possibility that this extreme person on the opposite side of me has something worthwhile to say, even if that doesn't change our minds, right? Is there something we can learn from that person? And how can that then either challenge or uh I don't know if strengthen is the right word, but provide uh, support for the views that we hold. Um, not approaching the political system with a with a uh, the goal of winning uh, or or beating the opponent, but rather doing it in a way that furthers the common good for everybody. Right. So those are some things I think we can do in our local congregation not just at universities, but when we're talking to young people and even talking to our friends and family who aren't maybe the younger generation, digging down to say, well, you know, here's what you believe. That's great. Um, What can we learn from those with whom we disagree? I think that's one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves these days. Yeah. And as adults who are no longer uh, 18 to 22, one of the things that I constantly remind myself is to look back at my 18 to 20 year old self and the the, the thoughts, ideas, positions I held at that time and the party that I thought I, you know, was mine. Right. And to say, yeah. well, that party is not where it was then. And it has moved and I have not. Or in these ways, mm. I have moved and it has not. Right. Okay. So yep. uh, it's a it's a moving river and it's not stagnant and we are not either. So um, that's always helpful to remember as well. Daniel, um, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We love our interaction and your input into this conversation. You guys can follow Daniel Bennett on Twitter at Daniel R. Ben. That's with two N's or um, at his Uneasy Citizenship blog, which you can find on Substack under his name, Daniel Bennett. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, let's uh, be praying today, lifting up in prayer our brother, brothers and sisters who are in Kentucky. Um, Governor Andy Bashir has actually asked us to, p- to pray. He has said, please pray. Father God, we come before you um, in, unity with, in unity of spirit, um, asking that you would supply every resource necessary for, um, for the rescue of people who might still be rescued 
and certainly the recovery of families and communities stricken by such severe flooding across the state of Kentucky. Comfort those who grieve and supply resources for rebuilding. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.